This week's TribCast is sponsored by Texas State Technical College is the solution to the skills gap in Texas. Find out more at tstc.edu. And Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute has issued the first in a series of reports on mental health impacts of a COVID-19 recession. More at texasstateofmind.org. Welcome to the April 29th edition of the Texas Tribune TribCast. This is Alexa Uda. I'm joined virtually this week by state politics reporter Cassie Pollock. Hello. <laughs> Managing editor Matthew Watkins, who is now fully sleeping and living in his closet. I brought in a couch cushion today for me to sit on. It's really getting luxurious in here. I don't know if anyone else finds this bit funny, but I'm just going to keep it going until we're back in the office. It's the little home improvements that you make along the way while you're you're quarantined, right? right. (laughs) And executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. All right. So can I interest any of y'all in a movie on Friday? (laughs) I'll be on my couch watching on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Governor Greg Abbott this week announced um, what is sort of the phase one for how businesses in the state uh, may begin to reopen. I'm going to make Matthew tell us a bit more about this announcement from earlier this week. Sure. So phase one, um, which I guess is actually kind of phase two because we had an earlier phase that was state parks and a few other little things. But phase, I guess the official phase one is restaurants, retail stores, movie theaters, um, things like that can reopen for in-person business um, with the caveat that they can only be at 25% capacity or 50% capacity if you're in a rural county where there's not any cases or, or you know, the spread has been pretty minimal. Um, you know, basically the idea here is, uh, you know, uh, not completely full movie theaters. As you said, you can't sit next to anybody, to anybody in the theater, which actually sounds like a rule that I think we should just keep for normal times. A rule um, of people, I think, yeah. I've time for that as well. Especially um, kids, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then, you know, yeah, restaurants, uh, no tables of more than six. Um, people have to be from the same house, household. You have to be spread out. Um, it's basically, you know, a, a very early beginning of the reopening of the economy. Although I think their questions remain, you know, how much is this going to really help the economy given, you know, the profit margins for for restaurants, movie theaters and things like that are pretty slim. I'm not sure, you know, working at 25 percent capacity, usually when you see a restaurant that's that's operating at that, you wonder how long they're going to be able to stay open anyways in normal times. Right. Yeah, I mean. I seem to recall a quote from the governor when he was resisting statewide orders um, along the lines of what may be right for places like urban areas may not be right for the counties that have had no cases at this point. Uh, I believe when he said that the number of counties with no cases was at 200. As of Friday, that was down to 50, though even officials in some of those counties say that that might be because of a lack of testing. Our understanding is that this executive order going into effect Friday actually preempts local orders. So why not pull back the statewide stay-at-home order, but let locals establish their own policies based on kind of caseload there? 
I mean, I think part of it is that uh, Abbott's under a lot of pressure right now, and there's a lot of people who really want to see some real action to reopen the economy. You know, most of that is coming from his right. But uh, and and, you know, there's a lot of questions about how kind of smart that is. But, um, uh, you know, there are a lot of people out of work right now. There's a lot of people who are really concerned about, um, you know, what the long term effects of this are going to be on the economy. And I think, you know, part of this is just a feeling, I think, from Abbott and from other people that it's it's time to start moving time to start progressing toward where things are a little bit reopened. I think we can talk about whether that's the best, you know, idea from a public health perspective, but I think it's definitely something that's driving some of these decisions. You know, one of the things that you mentioned a minute ago, I think is going to drive part of this, and that is the bad economics of opening a restaurant or a movie theater that only 25% of your customers can go to. And I think a lot of these businesses you know, the governor gets the political win by saying, I'm going to open some of these things, but to some extent might get a win on the medical front by the idea that a lot of these businesses aren't going to open in any case. You know, I think the real test of this is going to be how many Texans venture past the front curb of their, their homes or apartments or whatever starting Friday. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's this whole, we did hear from the governor say, okay, we're going to do this in a measured way. We're going to try this for a few weeks, then come back to see what, how much more we can reopen on May 18th. But if not all of your restaurants or businesses do actually reopen, I mean, I know we've been talking about the like state of incomplete data for weeks now, but doesn't that just then leave us with even more or just as incomplete data when we think about whether some of these things should go up to 50%? We don't actually know what the effect of reopening will be if not everyone reopens. Well, and if if the people who are reopened aren't all the way reopened, I mean, you know, the the social distancing thing is still going to keep some of those businesses out of business. Yeah, I mean, so we we have heard from health experts who have said that even gradual steps to reopen businesses would increase the number of people who become sick from the virus, and that to reopen safely, we need increased testing and increased contact tracing of people who test positive. The governor's announcement, I believe, did include a plan to hire up to 4,000 contact tracers, I think by mid-May. But, you know, we've been slow to expand these sort of things, right? We still rank among states with the fewest tests administered per capita, are we even going to be in a position in mid-May if we sort of take how slow it's been to ramp up testing to be able to do that and ramp up both of those things at the same time? Yeah, I think one of the the, the things to keep in mind here is, is, you know, one of the reasons we have been implementing the social distancing, as people have been saying, you know, for, for weeks, months now, is, is to flatten the curve, right? It doesn't necessarily reduce the number of people who get the virus, it spreads out those people in order to keep hospital capacity in a level, you know, keep hospitals where they're not being overrun, right? And, you know, I think one thing we found, you know, there's a lot of discussions we can have about whether we have adequate testing, whether we have a full picture of the virus's spread in the community. But one thing we do know is that the hospitals haven't been overrun yet. And I think that's one of the big things that's guiding Abbott's decisions. But the challenge here is you kind of have to 
maintain this balance, right? Where, so we ease it up. How much is that going to increase the number of people who get it? Are we going to get to a place where the the hospitals could get overrun as we continue to kind of open up the economy? That's where testing is really important because there's a lag time here, right? You don't catch the virus and then immediately have to go to the hospital. There's there's time that it takes. And so if we don't have tests knowing, you know, how many people out there are getting it, our transmissions increasing, then we're going to be kind of working somewhat blind and maybe not blind, but at least with like out of date information. You know, we're not going to know two weeks from now the full extent of what happened Friday because the, the biggest consequences of those will be felt later on. So there's really kind of a delicate balancing act that's going to have to be going on here. And it's going to be, I think, a really big challenge for the public health experts, for Governor Abbott and the people who are kind of making the decisions on what the next steps are. Should we be pushing forward? Should we be pulling back? So, Ross, we actually asked about um, some of these stay-at-home orders in our latest round of polls. Tell us more about what came out of that, because it seems like Overall, public opinion might not necessarily be with Abbott on this, though, if you look at it on a partisan basis, he's got a little bit more cover. Yeah, it depends on how you slice it, really. If you ask people, you know, do you think the stay-at-home orders were a good idea, 77% say, yeah, that's a good idea. And it's got, you know, we've got a majority of Republicans and a majority of Democrats saying that um, they think the social distancing, you know, they like that idea, um, whether it came from the governor or from local officials. But if you ask them, so do you think the bigger threat is staying at home too long or not staying home long enough? You know, when do you open the door, basically? Republicans are more anxious to open the door. And in fact, a majority say it's more of a danger to stay home too long. And the Democrats are in exactly the opposite position. Uh, they think it's a, the bigger danger is opening the door. Abbott sort of, you could see that he's getting poll numbers that are just like that. Because one of the things he said was, you know, look, we're not telling anybody they have to open their business or that they have to open or that they have to go outside. We're just saying you can. So, you know, I guess the, you know, one version of this is, you know, that we've got a bunch of Republicans walking the streets past Democrats staring out their windows. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and we, we have seen this play out to, to some extent in terms of the responses we've seen from elected officials. You know, the governor said he's following doctors and data on this, but it seems like the right is sort of still on him for not going far enough. Cassie, tell us a little bit more about kind of the political reaction among yeah. the elected class, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, characteristically, there's been pushback from both the left and the right uh, as Abbott's continued to to handle, uh, you know, how the state's responding to the virus. On one hand, you have Democrats thinking that Abbott just completely jumped the gun on this and that the state, you know, wasn't ready uh, to begin opening. And, uh, you know, I think I'm pulling up uh, Chris Turner's, uh, he's a House member, he's also chair of the House Democratic Caucus. You know, he said in a statement after Abbott's announcement that, uh, you know, that it was just, uh, you know, that we still have more questions than answers and that Abbott, uh, you know, announcing this plan to start reopening the economy doesn't uh, necessarily address uh, any of the testing capacity questions that we've been talking about. Um, and on the right, you know, you have hardline faction of Republicans. I think we were talking about this a few weeks ago, um, still continuing to push, uh, you know, for um, more increased measures to opening the, the economy. You know, they didn't think that Abbott's plan uh, goes far enough. 
But you're also seeing some other Republicans not necessarily aligned with the hardline faction um, starting to kind of chime in um, uh, on the topic of hair salons and barber shops. Uh, you know, I think as of this morning, several uh, at least state House Republicans had put uh, on their social media pages um you know, uh, something to the effect of them not understanding why barbershops and hair salons uh, are not among those businesses allowed to start opening Friday. So uh, there's also been a little bit of pushback from a county judge on that uh, specific, uh, you know, aspect of uh, Abbott's, uh, you know, phased in approach, if you will. And um, Abbott said that basically he, uh, you know, has plans to clarify that uh, between now and Friday. You know, yeah. honestly, talking about the pushback, I was a little bit surprised that it wasn't more uh, vociferous angry, you know? I mean, uh, particularly on the local official level, you know, this is a situation where uh, up until this point, Abbott has really trusted those local officials and, you know, been saying that they see things on the ground in their jurisdictions where they need to go stronger and have more severe orders, then that's great. And in this case, you know, Abbott is overturning a requirement in Harris County and in other places saying that you have to wear masks. He's not giving the county judges and the mayors the options to say, you know, the restaurants, you know, to close restaurants and retail stores in their community. Um, but the the response by those local officials, many of whom are Democrats, was pretty measured. Um, and then on the other side, you know, you've got some people who are talking about how Greg Abbott is, a, you know, acting like a tyrant or whatever. But a lot of those people are people who are not in elective office or used to be in elective office and lost their elections. You know, when, if you look at like the actual people in the legislature, even Dan Patrick, who like clearly wants to open up restrictions more than they already are, is not, you know, saying you know, invoking Abbott by name or, or criticizing him outright, you know, he's, he's doing it in a pretty measured way. Um, right. It's so interesting to think about like the issues of local control and the way that these people were just like at each other's throats a year ago. And now when the stakes are so high, they're disagreeing, but they're doing it in a pretty like calm reason manner. Yeah, I think it was, I mean, Sylvester Turner, the mayor of Houston, I think he said, you know, the governor took this out of our hands. And that was probably even like the most extreme yeah. action to this. It has been kind of surprisingly quiet, given the like context that we know to a lot of these fights. Well, they're also in a position politically where, you know, if I'm a local official and the governor is going to open the doors to the extent that that's dangerous, that's not on me, that's on him. So they get some political cover here if they need it. Um, I don't know if that was part of the calculation or if it was just old cities versus state stuff, but, you know, that's one of the political effects. Yeah, I mean, so we mentioned uh, Harris County and their mask order. The, the Abbott announcement, um, which included his sort of proclamation that locals can't impose these penalties if you're not wearing a mask, came the same day that the Harris County judge, Lena Hidalgo's mask order went into effect. And, you know, she had faced some pretty harsh criticism from the local GOP and law enforcement 
But like, meanwhile, nobody cared when my hometown of Laredo and <laughs> put these fines into place. My, my mother, who is an essential worker, has been wearing her mask four weeks, even in the car. And, you know, I was trying to kind of make sense of it in terms of just like, the reaction to it, because and we, we talk about state versus local. I think during the last session that expanded beyond the kind of state Republicans versus local Democrats in urban areas kind of standard that we were sort of used to. But I mean, is this just kind of part and parcel of this return to this fight that we've seen, you know, weeks after Abbott was deferring to these locals? Now he is pulling a lot of things out of their hands. But the the reaction to the Harris County fine in particular was pretty, you know, it seemed pretty pointed at least. You know, what stood out to me about the Harris County thing, which you make a good point. There were other places that did this, that had the rules in place that didn't provoke this kind of reaction. It's that the Harris County GOP, which, you know, has has kind of been swept out of power over the last decade, last half decade, really, um, has been really effective in kind of stirring up criticism of the new Democratic elected officials. Um, the mask uh, rule being a specific one, but Alexa, I mean, you reported about some of this on like around elections and stuff like that. They've, they've really just kind of been a thorn in the side of these new County officials. Um, and I wonder if that might be more of the reason there that it's getting, um, that it kind of became this huge issue in Harris County than elsewhere, just because they seem to be really organized and, and doing an effective job of kind of stirring up grassroots, Opposition, but also opposition that kind of gets the attention of people like Dan Patrick and and Greg Abbott. Um, obviously, there's a lot of money, a lot of influence in, in the Houston area among Republican circles. I also wonder, like, how much of it is a timing thing. And why I bring that up is, you know, I was looking, I think it was like April 2nd when Laredo, Alexa, you mentioned Laredo, uh, you know, passed this emergency mandate and, and basically imposed, started saying, hey, if you're not wearing a face mask in public, you're, you may get a thousand dollar fine versus Lena Hidalgo doing it in Harris County about a week ago. Just if you think about like the politicization of the virus and how much uh, I guess we've seen play out and kind of come to fruition over the past couple of weeks. Um, to Matthew's point about, you know, the, the GOP and the Houston area being effective, I think that's completely valid and definitely at play here. But I'm also curious the timing of it and if any of that has um, played, an, you know, played a role in, in how, uh, you know, I guess how motivated the GOP was uh, in the Harris County situation. Right. Yeah. Like that. What? Go ahead, Ross. One other component of this that you had in Houston and you didn't have in Laredo was police unions and mm -hmm. sheriff's officers unions jumping up and saying, we don't want to waste our time with that kind of stuff. Um, that may well have been part of the organized response to this, but it was part of the response. And you're listening to, you know, presumably non-political groups uh, protesting a policy. So, Yeah. And I, and I think to Cassie's point that the Harris County order did come, you know, obviously farther into this as you were seeing kind of a growing unified resistance to mm -hmm. orders from the Republicans in particular. Yeah. All right. Well, before we go on to um, the rest of our conversation, we've got two more sponsors we've got to go to. Researchers at Texas A&M University are working hard to find safe and effective drugs to treat COVID-19. See what else is happening at fearlessfront.com. And... Hogg Foundation for Mental Health, 
Even with COVID-19 upending our lives, communities still need to be counted. Hear from two experts on how COVID-19 is impacting the 2020 census and why the census still matters for Texas at hogg.utexas.edu slash podcast. So I want to talk about the effects of all of this on, you know, real people and humans that aren't elected in elected office. We've already seen um, some small and even big businesses say, you know, we're actually not ready to reopen. They've noted that opening at 25 capacity doesn't actually make sense for them financially. Um, you know, even in the case of restaurants, they've said, like, why would we bring our servers and waiters back when there's no way that they're going to make in tips what they normally would make it maybe not even financially financially helpful for them. I mean, I think there is a true way in which this complicates matters for a lot of Texans who now weigh the risk of contracting the virus by going back to work with their need for a paycheck, right? Like they can't afford not to go to work with this order. If a restaurant reopens and someone doesn't go back to work, they lose their unemployment benefits. What I mean, what do we make of taking this decision, knowing that it would lead to these sort of, you know, life and death complications for a lot of people, including people in those high risk categories that can't actually go to work without risking getting very, very sick and even possibly dying. So can we talk about the unemployment insurance thing first because i yeah. think that that's like a, a huge thing and and um you know we've we've written a couple of stories about this already where basically we're in this situation right now where the texas workforce commission has told us um you know basically the rules for unemployment insurance collecting those benefits are that if you uh have the ability to go back to work um and don't then you don't get your unemployment benefits. And that has raised all kinds of issues, you know, like if you, what if you are in an at risk, um, you know, age or have a health condition that, or, or you're just worried about contracting the virus and don't want to go back to work. Does that mean you don't get your unemployment benefits or, you know, Aaliyah, um, our uh, education reporter just posted a story about an hour ago on our site talking about parents, you know, we're in this situation where, um, daycares are only open for children of essential workers, but now other workers can go back to work. But if you, you know, not having a childcare option is, is not an excuse currently in the way our unemployment insurance works to not go back to work. So I ideally, like if you're making the decision, I don't have anywhere to take my kids, so I can't go back to my job, you know, as the rules are currently written, you, uh, you you should lose your unemployment benefits, which is just in a completely impossible situation to put parents in. And we've actually heard just, you know, as we've been reporting, reporting this podcast, we heard from the Texas Workforce Commission uh, clarifying to us that they're kind of exploring these rules. Um, and so it's possible that even by Friday that that could change. It does kind of make you wonder, like, why weren't these issues kind of thought of through before these orders were put out, you know, at the very least to just avoid putting a lot of stress and worry on, on families. You know, I'm sitting here hiding in my closet, you know, uh, doing a job that I can do remotely and, uh, you know, but, and with my, my spouse, my wife at home doing the same thing and we're struggling 
you know, quite a bit to just kind of keep it together. And there's all these families, all these waiters, you know, people in, in, in unstable housing, just like these situations where this is just like, it's 10 times more impossible than it is for someone like me who has a lot of benefits going on. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of help that these people are going to need and a lot of things that the state is going to have to kind of figure out about how to accommodate these challenges. Because I just don't know if like a situation of like you lose your unemployment benefits because you can't send your, you know, two-year-old kid anywhere is, is a tenable situation. Yeah. I think the point you made about like, why weren't these things considered before we kind of created this gap I mean, you could apply that to a lot of other situations in, in Texas government. But I think this one in particular is so unsettling for people because it's not one. It's not like there aren't risks to returning to work. Right. Like I wrote this week about workers at this meatpacking plant in the Texas panhandle. They're considered essential. They've continued to go into work. It's a place where social distancing isn't always practical or possible. And now there's an outbreak there. And right. they don't have a lot of, you know, they can't necessarily walk away from their jobs in some cases. Some of them even live in, like, apartment housing. And I think when you think about the policies, there, there have been so many instances in which there have been policies that have been passed in the state where you see, you know, low-wage workers or marginalized communities, kind of the people who always bear the brunt of kind of either gaps or, you know, things that aren't considered until after the fact that are maybe cleaned up a legislative session later in other instances. I mean, this is, this isn't necessarily something new, but it's so unsettling for it to be happening when there are all these other risks that people are facing and all of these other ways in which their lives have been upended. Yeah. And, you know, and this is going to continue to be an issue, you know, because right now, it's restaurants and retail stores, but then there's offices and, you know, all kinds of different kind of workplaces that will still need to be figured out. And school's closed, you know, it's, it's closed for the rest of the semester. And then, you know, and then we've got summer and what happens after that, you know, because the, the options of like summer camps and, and things like that uh, will all need to be figured out as well. So this is not a problem that's going away anytime soon. Sure. All right. Well, that is all we have for you today. But before we go, I'm supposed to tell you that today's TripCast comes to you on day two of our annual spring member drive. If this podcast, which we're all recording from home, only Matthew is in his closet, um, or other journalism has helped you navigate this moment we're all living through, consider supporting our nonprofit newsroom today. You can donate now at texastribune.org slash give. Your gift will also support Feeding Texas as they try to meet the increased need at their 21 food banks across the state. As always, thanks to Spoon for our theme music and to our sponsors this week, Texas State Technical Institute, the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute, Texas A&M University, and the Hogg Foundation for Mental Health. On behalf of Cassie, Matthew, and Ross, and our producer, Michael Ray, this is Alexa. Thanks for listening. of Cassie, Matthew, and Ross, and our producer, Michael Ray. Who was that? <laughs> I think it was Who Cassie. Was it was you earlier. I know you. Michael Ray, I Leave it in. <laughs> yeah, leave it in. <laughs> <laughs>
We we just figure out a way to leave it in. That'll be good. <laughs> hey, Cat, Cassie, notifications off so on I your laptop. Black. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you never allow me on virtual podcast ever again. 